At the rate we're going, Rockin' Robin will be the only one who is allowed to continue tweet, tweet, tweeting. It's a Jackson 5, uh, Rockin' Robin. Someone who I'm amazed has not yet been banned from Twitter is Ray McGovern. Uh, Ray McGovern has led an incredible career and an incredible retirement. He's a former CIA officer. Uh, he was a CIA analyst from 1963 to 1990, and in the 1980s, he chaired the National Intelligence Estimates and prepared the president's daily brief. You know the brief the president gets all about what's happening in the intelligence community and what the intelligence assessments are of this situation, that assessment. He was the one that prepared that uh, back in nineteen in the nineteen eighties. He kind enough to join me right now. Uh, good morning, Ray. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. I know it's a late night. Hi, Frank. Uh, it's good to be on with you. Yeah, I, I I noticed that you're from Brooklyn. I'm from the Bronx. Uh, my wife's from Brooklyn, and she married up, as we used to say <laughs> in the Bronx. Well, look, I, I, just to correct the record, Ray, uh, I am a proud Staten Islander, and uh, my parents are from Brooklyn, so I, uh, I consider yeah. myself a, a relative of uh, almost one generation removed, uh, two generations removed from Italy, one generation removed from Brooklyn. Uh, so be it. Uh, Ray, so before before I get your analysis of the Russia-Ukraine situation, um, let me get this out of the way, because as I was promoting your appearance, I was deluged with this, and I'm sure I'm going to take calls for the next hour about this. You have a master's in Russian studies from a very prestigious school. I think it's Fordham. And uh, you have taken a view... Uh, regarding Russian affairs in the media over the last few years, including appearing on media platforms like RT, which a lot of folks refuse to appear on, people are going to claim that you have been and continue to be a Russian mouthpiece or a Putin mouthpiece. How do you respond to that? Are you a mouthpiece for Putin? (laughs) No, I'm not a mouthpiece for Putin. Uh, There are certain things that Americans haven't been exposed to, and they happen to be real. They happen to be flat fact, as we used to say in the newspaper business. And uh, when when those things that I expose turn out to coincide uh, simply with something that the Russians say, then uh, the automatic presumption, because people are so conditioned to believe this, is that uh, I'm in Putin's pocket or something like that. I assure you. Everything I say, Frank, uh, is supported by evidence. The only problem is just like, well, what you were talking about before, uh, a lot of the stuff like Contra uh, uh, Biden's laptop, for God's sake, that's suppressed. Now, you were quite right before in saying that was outrageous. I mean, that had an effect. If you want to talk about affecting an election or fixing an election, well, man, keeping that information suspect, saying, as a matter of fact, that it was a Russian operation. Right. Russian disinformation campaign, I think, was the word that was used to discredit it. So you're you're very capable and very willing to be critical of Putin when needed. 
Well, yes, and partly that's because I don't depend on uh, the media for a living. And I've always uh, actually been trained to, uh, to to speak truth to power. Uh, my Irish grandmother used to say, Raymond, uh, tell it like it is and don't give a damn what anyone says about truth. So <laughs> I try to try to keep that philosophy so in mind. Let's discuss what's been happening in Russia and Ukraine for the last month. The conventional wisdom is, the conventional media narrative is, even people that were opposed to things like NATO expansion, the conventional wisdom is Russia and Putin have been the aggressor here and have invaded a sovereign country uh, that was probably not a threat to them and are waging a, a, a particularly brutal war, which includes the targeting of civilians. Do you agree with that conventional narrative? And if not, what aspects of it do you disagree with? Well, again, you, you talk about various aspects of it. I agree with some aspects. I think it's terrible. I think it's beyond the pale to invade another country. The question is why he did it uh, and whether it was, as is automatic for the mainstream media to say, whether it was, quote, unprovoked, end quote. Now, Ukraine does not in itself pose any threat to Russia, but joining NATO uh, with uh, with missile bases right on the periphery of the western border of Russia, that does. That does pose a strategic threat to Russia by anybody's analysis, and that's what Putin had tried to prevent. NATO expansion, he was unable to prevent. But you know what the big difference is now, Frank? Uh, Putin's got a big brother. He's got a big brother who is ruling 1.4 billion people in China. He, too, has been threatened by even NATO expansion. Now, when you talk about NATO, that's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And they started picking a fight with China about a year ago. So you have two countries, very powerful countries, China especially, and Russia, being uh, being sort of harassed on their frontiers uh, by what they consider to be real threats, strategic threats from the United States and eventually in China uh, by NATO. And so the, they decided to band together, and this was unprecedented. When I, when I was in analysis uh, in, at the CIA, my first portfolio was Sino-Soviet relations, and the story then was that they hated each other. They were shooting at each other across the border. They were claiming each other's land. We thought, and get this, Frank, we thought they would hate each other forever. That just shows nothing is forever. So, Under the common threat that they see from the West, and specifically from the U.S., they banded together. And now it's two against one. So can, uh, just I've spoken about this with George Beebe and uh, the issue of NATO expansion. So I don't want to spend too much time on on this aspect of it. But I had General Clark, General Wesley Clark on this show. He was obviously Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. He said it's ridiculous for Russia or any country to be fearful of a NATO attack. 
Um, what do you say to that? I mean, we we always like to view ourselves in America as the good guys. We would never attack another country. And for Putin to claim that he's fearful of an attack because of Ukraine potentially joining NATO, it's just, um, it, you know, it's just posturing on his point on his part, and it's using this as a convenient excuse to do what he wanted to do anyway. What do you say to that, that um, p- people claim that NATO doesn't is not in the business of invading other countries? Well, I would cite Yugoslavia in the late 1900s. I mean, late 19, uh, well, 1999. Uh, I would cite Afghanistan for 20, count them. 20 years, what's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization doing in Afghanistan, I would ask you. Look at the map. They don't belong there. And it was a long, drawn-out, feckless war. So the notion that NATO doesn't threat anyone, well, there, there are two examples I could adduce more. The real question is, are the Russians trying to take over Europe? You know, the, the, Russia fell apart. It fell apart. And uh, sort of disintegrated. They were on their back when NATO started to expand. Uh, There was no threat from Russia. And what Russia is doing now is reprehensible, but it's a reaction to the the movement of NATO toward their borders and the emplacement of missile sites within within range of Russia's intermediate Uh, well, intercontinental ballistic missile, ICBM sites. You see, uh, what we have now, what the U.S. or, yeah, what the U.S. has now in uh, Romania and Poland, hard up against Russia's border, are what we call anti-ballistic missile sites. Now, when the Russians said, well, we know you left that treaty, you junked that treaty that was the cornerstone of stability for 30 years, 72 to 2002. Why are you now building ABM sites on our border? And we say, oh, uh, because of the threat from Iran. <laughs> now, you couldn't believe that because it wasn't true. Then we had this treaty that prohibited Iran from doing anything like that for 10 years. And those anti-ballistic missile sites kept going in. Now, why do I express that? Because those sites can be changed overnight by putting in a new CD or a DVD, a new program, making them into offensive missiles, offensive missiles that can fly uh, at Mach 8 and endanger part of Russia's strategic uh, missile force. That's a real threat to, the, to, to Russia, and that's something that Putin has been pointing out for the last seven, seven years. And NATO says, well, it's mind your own business. We can do what we want. In other words, um, we, are, we have threatened Russia in a strategic way, and Putin has been not able to challenge us. Wesley Clark, you mentioned him, okay? Wesley Clark went to the Deputy Secretary of Defense. His name was Paul Wolfowitz. After that that terrific war that we won against Iraq in 1991, and he said, Paul, what's the main main lesson you learned from that war? And Paul said, without hesitating, we can do these things, and the Russians can't stop us. Now, 91, okay? Wolfowitz, pretty smart guy, and he said, you know, Wes, uh, there will come a time when the Russians can stop it, 
stop us. So we have to garner all all our power now and expand as far as we can. So that was the plan. 91, then the expansion of NATO. Putin powerless to stop it. And all of a sudden, Putin gets this great big friend, and they describe their strategic relationship as exceeding in closeness and effectiveness a traditional alliance. Now, I thought that when Putin invaded Ukraine, which, again, I, I despise the fact that that happened, I thought that the president of China would be upset because China's whole policy is based on non-interference, non-interference in the affairs of other countries. Guess what? He blinked and he said, oh, well, and he supported, supported Russia in the U.N. and elsewhere. He's criticized the sanctions and he said, look, uh, you know, uh, you ought to pay attention to Russia's core interests, just as we demand that you pay attention to our core interests and stop flirting around with independence for Taiwan. So you have a virtual alliance now between Russia and China. Uh, the triangular thing doesn't work for us anymore because I don't know if your listeners remember what an isosceles triangle is, mm. but it's two long sides, right? And then one short end. And that's what we have now, Frank. We're on the short end of that triangle. And that changes the whole strategic calculus in the world at large. There's a bipolar world now, NATO and the U.S. against Russia, China, parts of India, even Pakistan, Brazil. Most of the people in the world have not gone along with what the U.S. has done now in reaction to what Russia has done in reaction to what the U.S. did in encroaching on Russia's space. Last thing I'll say is when the Russians came into our space, they tried to put missiles in Cuba in 1962. I was just going on active duty in 1962. I didn't know what it was like because there were no... <laughs> There were no weapons at Fort Benning where I, where I entered onto active duty. Why? Because they were all at Key West. We were ready mm. to go into Cuba, and luckily Kennedy was was uh, more, you know, it, he was smart enough to get us out of there. Uh, now, I don't know about Biden. I think his instincts are good, but I don't think he's his own man. I think he may be pressured into doing something really dumb. Let's hope he doesn't. We're talking with Ray McGovern, a 30-year CIA veteran uh, turned political activist. One of the narratives that seems to have taken shape, especially over the course of the last month or so, is that uh, Putin is this horrible authoritarian dictator, and he's picking on a country like Ukraine, which is a democratic, Western, freedom-loving country. And yesterday, I pointed out when I filled in on the Bernie and Sid show Zelensky has banned something like 11 centrist and left-wing parties because they're too close to Russia. He's also shut down a whole bunch of media outlets within Ukraine uh, so that they could have one unified media message. Are those the kind of things that happen in a democracy? <laughs> Not at all. What people don't know is that the most recent round of tension started when we, that is the United States and Britain and some Western countries, overthrew the duly elected government of Ukraine. The date was February 22, 2014. 
And that coup was advertised 18 days in advance on YouTube. <laughs> Let me explain, because most people don't know this. Uh, our Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, her name was Victoria Newland. Now she's she's even moved up to number three at the state at State Department. She and our ambassador in uh, in Kiev were plotting this coup, and they were conversing en clair. That is, you know, an unencrypted telephone conversation. It was intercepted, and somebody put it on YouTube on the fourth. Of February 2014, it showed not only the plotting of the coup, not only the people that they were picking to run the government, including the prime minister, but also the fact that, as Newland puts it, uh, I talked to Jake Sullivan, of course, uh, uh, Vice President Biden's uh, national security advisor. I talked to Jake, and he assures me that uh, Biden's good to come in and, and stick this thing together. Uh, an international personality to glue it together and will all work. So, okay, you're Putin, right? <laughs> and you're in Sochi at the, at the Winter Olympics. And you see this on, on YouTube. And you say, oh, holy Moses. I'm glad that somebody intercepted that conversation because that coup was blown. I mean, that's, that, poor, that poor guy, uh, uh, you know, whatever his name was, was not going to be uh, prime minister anymore. Yatsenyuk was his name. Yats, okay? So what happens? Well, I thought the same thing. But 18 days later, mm. the coup was, was arranged. It concluded. And not only that, but the people who entered the government, a couple of key people were real Nazis, like neo-Nazis, like the tradition of Stepan Bandera, who cooperated with Hitler during World War II. You you want to put the Russians at a, you you want to get the Russian back up? Well, the Russians lost 26 million to the Nazis. 26 million to the Nazis in World War II. By comparison, the United States force lost 400,000 all soldiers, 26,000 all Soviets. Okay. So they have this thing about the Nazis, right? <laughs> well, now, whenever you bring up the Nazi comparison, because it is interesting, uh, uh, Zelensky chose not to ban any of the ultra-right-wing Nazi <laughs> parties. He just banned the centrist and left-wing pro-Russia parties. Whenever you bring up any sort of Nazi connection to Zelensky and the current Ukrainian government, people point out, maybe rightly so, that Zelensky is Jewish how can he be um, in league with the Nazis, especially when he's pu kind of publicly shaming Israel for not doing more to help them? What do you say to that argument, that Zelensky can't be in league with Nazis because he's Jewish? Yeah, well, that's a very convenient uh, sounding argument. But the reality is that when Zelensky was elected president and the uh, hostilities uh, in the area against those uh, Russian-speaking provinces of Donetsk and Lugansk, when they started to heat up again, he went there. And he talked to the Nazi battalion called the Azov Battalion. Now, don't quibble about that. They, they, they fly swastikas, for right. God's sake, and they sing Nazi hymns, all right? So he said, look, I don't want, I don't want you to, to stir up trouble there and kill, kill even more Russians. And 14,000 have been killed, primarily Russians. So I want you to stop it. And they looked at him. They thumbed their nose at him and said, what, are you kidding me? 
get out of here. And Zelensky said, oh, wait a second. I'm the president. I'm telling you not to do this. And they laughed them to scorn. And they continued to do it. Now, again, I don't justify invading another country. But when your own people, you know, let's say uh, your Italian people, your Irish people uh, in diaspora, if they're being if they're being treated very cruelly, some of them being killed by artillery fire every day, you can feel strongly about trying to stop that. Well, we we did see that to some extent with a, a lot of Americans that were being persecuted in the eyes of some in Texas by the Mexican government. And even though Texas wasn't part of the United States at that time, we did uh, we did uh, play a role in intervening. Um, you, I want to ask you about this column you wrote this week. It's available on antiwar.com and a bunch of other places in which you say Chuck Todd is a um, is a chemical agent. Now, uh, Chuck Todd interviewed the head of NATO on Sunday here. If people didn't hear that interview or see it, here's a, a snippet of it. How long can NATO stand by and watch Russia target civilians without finding a way to help more? NATO allies are stepping up their support to Ukraine, partly by delivering uh, military support, humanitarian support, and uh, billions of billions of financial support to Ukraine. And then, of course, we also impose unprecedented sanctions on Russia to ensure that they are paying a high price for this uh, totally unjustified, uh, senseless war against an independent sovereign nation, uh, Ukraine. And now it's clear what side Chuck Todd is taking on the no-fly zone issue. You've written this column saying Chuck Todd is a chemical agent. What do you mean? He might be biased, but how can you call him a chemical agent? (laughs) There was a play on words. Uh, He has a record, Frank. Um, In this case, uh, let's say that was on on Sunday, so two days ago Mm. now. Uh, he raises out of the blue with the head of NATO, Stoltenberg. He says, uh, you know, this no-fly zone that uh, Biden is resisting, uh, you know, if there's a chemical attack, don't you think that would uh, change the calculus? And Stoltenberg doesn't know how to answer that. And then he says again, look, uh, Russian, Russian chemical attack. Don't you think that that should change things? Don't you think that would change the the equation here and and, and permit a a no-fly zone? Well, you know, that's what what a lot of these people are trying to get Biden to do. Why Chuck Todd? Why do I pick on him? Why do I say he might be a a precursor? Because exactly, well, I don't know. It was in uh, 20, let's see. Uh, 2012, okay, 2012, uh, he gets up at a press conference and he says to Mr. Obama, who has just said he's not going to intervene overtly with U.S. troops in Syria, Chuck Todd says with a canned question, is there nothing that would change your calculus on that, Mr. President, and nothing that the Syrians might do that would change your, your view about overt involvement. And Biden, like, spoke, wrote. He said, look, uh, yeah, there is something I forgot to tell you. Uh, If the Syrians used chemical weapons or even moved chemical weapons around, well, that would change my calculus. That would change the equation. That was August 20th, 2012. On August 21st, 2013, there was a false flag attack 
on the suburb of Damascus blamed on the Syrian president, president Bashar al-Assad, but really the work of, uh, of moderate rebels, as we used to call them, paid and armed by us. We can prove it. We can prove it, including with the principles of physics. And that almost mousetrapped Obama into starting, into mm. firing uh, Tomahawk missiles into Syria. He resisted that. And ironically, it was Putin that bailed them out by persuading the Syrians uh, to destroy all their chemical weapons. I so, remember. Yeah, yeah, it's a real, you know, so there's a president, the same guy, right? Yeah, so, it, it, that is interesting. Before the 2012 to here's 2022, that was it. 10 years ago, no, right. same, exactly the same thing. Same act so, over 10 years. Before we run yeah. out of time here, we're talking with Ray McGovern, uh, former CIA officer turned political activist. Uh, you could check out his website, by the way, at raymcgovern.com, M-C-G-O-V-E-R-N.com. What do you think the United States should do next, Ray? If you had your druthers, if you were still in the business of advising presidents or at least providing intelligence estimates to presidents, what would you tell President Biden he should be doing now? He should get a ceasefire immediately. People are being killed. It's awful. And more people are going to be killed if it doesn't stop. The U.S. has the power to do that. Now, what are we doing instead? We're making Zelensky into be some sort of a hero, a Winston Churchill. Right. Man, man, I've, I've referred to him as Mandela meets Churchill. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, you know, I can tell you from my own experience, I'm a pretty old guy, right? So I know about Hungary. When there was a revolution, they threw the Soviets out uh, in 1956, but like for two days. Then the tanks came in. What did Radio Free Europe, which we ran at the time, what did they encourage the Hungarians to do? Fight them, fight them, run out before the tanks, make sure you fight them. And thousands and thousands of people more were killed. Now, from that, we learned the lesson. Look, when the Soviet tanks are coming in in those days, you know, don't get more people killed than necessary. And in 1968, I was sent out to Munich. Why? because it looked like the Russians were going to go into Czechoslovakia. There was a major revolution there. Everybody was euphoric about this fellow Dubček. He was facing down the Soviets. Uh, some of my friends and I thought, including the director of Radio Free Europe, thought that the Russians were inevitably coming in. And this time, we shouldn't do a Hungary. We should not encourage the Czechs and the Slovaks to lie down before Russian tanks. And that was the, the course we chose. We saved thousands of lives by being reasonable. And lo and behold, what, 68, now you have 1990, the Czech Republic was born. So liberty delayed, but also a lot of slaying, a lot of death and a lot of destruction and, I mean, was, was avoided. Th that is one of the one of the reasons I'm so appreciative of a statesman like the Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett working so hard to uh, try and broker an end to this uh, senseless fighting uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Before we run out of time, uh, you know, I had Colonel Lawrence Wil Wilkerson on this program last week. I'm still fielding uh, emails, phone calls and Facebook messages of people calling him anti-Israel and an anti-Semite rather than respond to his analysis of the 
uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. That label of anti-Israel has been pinned on you, I think, at least since the Iraq war. Uh, do you want to preemptively respond to anybody that wants to call you either anti-Israel or an anti-Semite? Well, actually, all I would do is point out that uh, when two academics, a fellow named Mearsheimer and a fellow named Walt, uh, wrote a book about the Israel lobby and tried to show how much power that lobby exerts in this country, um, I read the book and I, I said, well, yeah, that's not news to me. That's courageous of what they did. But they missed, they missed the most vivid proof of uh, of how powerful the Israel lobby is, and what they missed, and what they didn't have the courage to include, was the incident in June of 1967, when the USS Liberty was in international waters and was deliberately attacked by Israel, with 32 uh, Navy sailors and Marines killed. 160 wounded, and the whole thing covered up. So I said to uh, I said to Mearsheimer, I said, why did you include that? If you're trying to prove that the Israelis get away with murder, he would hear it was in flesh. And he said, well, you know, it was, that was pretty delicate. You know, I care about sailors being killed, and especially deliberately killed. That was the case here. And I know some of those veterans from the USS Liberty, and they still had not been given the due process and due court and, and uh, reimbursement. Ray, and, and I have to break. I have to break. Hopefully you'll come back. I didn't mean to cut your answer short there on such a complicated foreign policy issue, but I appreciate you joining me on the radio. You're most welcome.